What it is, RJLA family? I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call at radiojustice.org or something new or unusual to talk about for stimulating conversation for you on the bus, train, plane, or simply at the water cooler or in Cubicle Nation. We are education-focused on Conversation Piece today with guest Manla Kaise, who is a leader and innovator in the fields of education and student development with 20 years' experience. As a UCLA Student Affairs Administrator for nine years and as founder of New World Education since 1999, Mr. Kaise developed outreach, retention, and community service programs for underrepresented and other disadvantaged students, along with providing college access and student leadership programs across California, training thousands of students as well as counselors, faculty, and program administrators. Today, we will discuss building successful student communities. Mala Kaisa is down with Conversation Peace on Radio Justice Morning Wake Up Call. Welcome to Conversation Peace. We'll be right back. DJ Doc, you know he's down with us. D Square, he's down with us. Keyboard Money Mike is down with us. I see you, you know he's down with us. Nice and Mick Buddha down with us. Miss Melody, she's down with us. Just Ice and DMX are down with us. My manager Mo, he's down with us. Castle D, boy, he's down with us. DJ Red Alert, he's down with us. Robocop, boy, he's down with us. Making funky music is a must. I'm number one, 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 one. Rapping for a joke, a passing hope, or a phase with a rope. Sometimes I choke and try to believe when I get challenged by a million MCs. I try to tell them we're all in this together. My album was raw because no one would ever think like I think and do what I do. I stole the show and then I leave without a clue. What do you think makes up a KRS? Concisive teaching or very clear speaking? Ridiculous bass, aggravating treble, rebel, renegade, mustache. Not by financial aid, but a rate of hits Causing me to take long trips I'm the original teacher of this type of style Rocking off beat with a smile or a smirk or a chuckle Yes, I'm not up to BDP posse So I love to step in the jam and slam I'm not Superman Because anybody can or should be able To rock off turntables Grab the mic, plug it in and begin But here's where the problem starts, no heart a lot of groups fell apart Rappers still at art And no one's from the old school Cause rap is still a brand new tool I say no one's from the old school Cause rap on a whole Isn't even 20 years old 50 years down the line You can start this Cause we'll be the old school artists And even in that time I'll say a rhyme A brand new style Ruthless and wild Running around Spending money Having fun Cause even then I'm still number one 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 
Ron Lakaye say, welcome to Conversation Peace. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Angie. Uh, great to be on with you again. Yes, yes, because you were on officially my very first um, show, the pilot show of Conversation Peace on another station. And here we are again. I, I, I really enjoy talking to you about education because what people may not know, part of my background um, was in education. I did freshman recruitment at UCLA and early outreach services at UCLA for, for the Upper Bound program, for the partnership program, um, and basically for the UC um, campuses at large. And education has a soft spot with me. And I'm so glad that we're going to be education focused today on conversation piece. And I was looking at the New World Education Facebook page, and you were talking about building successful, empowered student communities. What is a successful student community? Well, I think there's a lot of ways that people can define it, so I appreciate you asking that question. Um, I think one of the things that people are looking, across, looking at across the uh, education pipeline is the uh, level of success that's achieved across a campus. So beyond specific individual students or specific student groups uh, being, you know, achieving a high level of academic outcomes, folks are looking at whole campuses and looking for trends and uh, areas of strength and weaknesses across a school population. So for us, uh, we are uh, embracing, you know, that view of the campus community. You know, uh, campuses typically use the term campus community to talk about the mix of folks who are uh, at a school or at a campus, uh, but we're looking at how do we create a culture of success across a student population. So when we talk about a success, building successful um, student communities, we're talking about uh, creating that culture and building relationships between and among students that are based upon success. And when we talk about success and we talk about empowerment, uh, empowerment suggests that success should be as students define it. So we trust our students to define, a, define success for themselves. Uh, typically it includes the measures of success that a university um, administrative leadership might uh, identify, but it also includes other measures of success that students define for themselves in terms of the skills and capabilities that they might uh, have when they uh, graduate from an institution. Such as, what, what would those elements be? Well, the ability to work together in groups, which is something that's uh, valued uh, increasingly across education, um, ability to <clears throat> apply what they've learned in the classroom in the real world, uh, whether it's in the context of community service work that they've done or in the context of pre-professional organizations and campus programming, um, social skills in terms of uh, developing relationships that can benefit them in the long run. Um, a lot of folks are talking now about uh, emotional learning and other types of uh, what folks might call soft skills um, that show up in the workplace, show up in the professional world, uh, 
help students to be able to actually accomplish more in real life and professional situations. Now, so what what would be the difference between a successful student community and one that is not? I know that seems to be an obvious question, but when when I you know when I look at um, the mission statement for for the federal um, level of of Department of Education, when I look at the state level, and when I look at just the Los Angeles County level, they all have something similar saying, you know, um, making stu- having students being prepared for global competitiveness, um, being able to um, thrive and live and work in a highly connected world, just those type of things. So we always think we know what, what it doesn't look like when it's not successful, but, but there, there has to be some clear differences, especially when you say that you also allow the students to define what those elements are. But, but what, what are some of the clear differences between a successful um, student community and one that is not? Yeah, well, I think uh, <clears throat> it's in uh, the word community itself. So I think a successful student community uh, suggests that there is um, a greater evenness in the kinds of successful outcomes that are being achieved. So there's less disparity uh, within the student population where there aren't, you know, just a few students or certain students who are achieving at a high level and then another group of students who are achieving at a very low level or lagging significantly behind the rest of their peers. And then the other component, I think, of so the first thing is just the consistency across a population suggests that there's a community of success and not just pockets of success within a community. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The other, the other component of it is um, <clears throat> the relationships between and among the students themselves. So are they practicing community? Uh, in the context of learning, in a context of achieving their goals, in a context of preparing to participate in the broader society? Are they practicing basic principles of community, uh, working together, uh, being able to um, work cooperatively, uh, folks who may be, uh, have greater um, capacity or greater capability of supporting and assisting with those who may have uh, a, a lesser capacity or a lesser capability at that point. So the kind of cooperation and mutual support that you would find in a, uh, you know, that would make up the basic principles and practices of a community are in place, as opposed to folks just being competitive, uh, thinking only about their own success, uh, not learn, you know, being able to be uh effective individually, but not being able to be effective in a group or collective context. Uh, So you would look for those types of things. Those would be some of the differences. With these elements, will you find these elements in a disadvantaged school? Um, Because when I was doing recruitment at UCLA, you know, there were certain schools that were labeled um, disadvantaged schools. And whether that was they because they had black and brown students there or if they were, you know, predominantly black and brown students at a school or if they were schools in, in, a, in a poor neighborhood, can there be 
successful student communities at a disadvantaged school? Or how does that even go fit hand in hand? Yeah, I think I think absolutely you can. Uh, I think at what would be um, typically described as a disadvantaged or an underperforming school, you do have community. Uh, mm-hmm. The question is, what are the principles and what are the central outcomes that the community is organized around? So if you're in a disadvantaged school and the expectations are low in terms of what those students can achieve and the degree to which they can learn, then the students themselves, they build community around other things because in some ways they're reacting to the low expectations. So the students, a, a, a student community in a disadvantaged school might actually reinforce low performance. It might actually, you know, the, the, the relationships between and among the students might actually um, help to produce and reinforce lower performance. Uh, but likewise, if you uh, can instill a culture of achieving at your highest level, uh, performing at your highest potential, then mm-hmm. that same set of relationships and community can be uh, can generate higher levels of success. I think part of the problem in disadvantaged schools is, number one, uh, to the extent that community exists, uh, the relationships aren't built around success. They're built around other types of outcomes, having a good time, having school pride. You know, uh, uh, sometimes a lot of things that are positive, but not mm-hmm. necessarily uh, strong academic outcomes. And, and a lot of times that's uh, because in a number of those schools you might have school leadership that has very low expectations of the students as a whole. So then that gets um, perpetuated. Uh, through the relationships between and among the students as opposed to the students being able to use their relationships to kind of refute that notion. So that's one of the the, the bigger challenges Mm -hmm. in the the disadvantaged schools is the expectations that that kind of um, uh, perceive of those students and then those become internalized by the students themselves. And... So what is needed to support and build a successful student community? Um, well, the, the first thing you need is a process or a um, practice of identifying and reinforcing and affirming students' strengths and capabilities as opposed to a more deficit-based approach which identifies and reinforces the weaknesses or the challenges within a student population. What are the strengths? What what are the, mm-hmm. the qualities and the capabilities that exist within a population of students, and how do you affirm those and then kind of build around them? The other thing that's needed is to actually foster and facilitate relationships between and among the students that are based upon building on those strengths you know, of mutually recognizing those strengths. When students are in an environment where the weaknesses and the challenges that a student face are constantly being identified and pointed out and reinforced, then students also view each other in that way, and so their relationships are kind of tainted by these low expectations and low perceptions of one another. 
They don't believe in one another as students because most of what they've shared or learned about their peers is negative. But if you uh, identify and reinforce the strengths and the assets the students bring to the table, then they will also see those assets in one another, and then you can kind of foster and facilitate relationships between those students that are based upon helping one another to build on the strengths that they bring to the table rather than judging one another based upon the challenges and the weaknesses that they might um, carry into that environment. And this is where um, New World Education goes into... Um, our methodology comes in. Our methodology mm-hmm. is asset-based. You know, we believe that every student brings certain talents and skills and qualities to the table. Our emphasis is on... Uh, engaging those students in activities that allow those qualities to be surfaced and to be uh, identified and uh, kind of uh, shown. And then we foster and facilitate relationships between and among the students around uh, building upon the strengths within that population, folks sharing their talents, sharing their skills and qualities for the uh, the good of the entire uh, their entire peer group, and then um, you know encouraging and uh, raising the expectations that they have of one another, and building relationships not only for the short term but for the long term that are relationships that are intentional in 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 expecting and holding one another accountable for their best efforts. And this is. Um, going into the peer support and the mentoring that that well, you would it, establish. It, start, it starts with what we call our house methodology, which is a student empowerment methodology. So it really does start with practices that empower students with a greater awareness of themselves and the strengths that they bring to the table. Uh, then it goes into the practices that you're talking about in terms of fostering peer support, Mm -hmm. Uh, fostering um, peer group uh, collective expectations. So across a a population, for example, uh, establishing an expectation that all of our students will perform at a certain level and none of our students will um, fall behind. And you can never totally prevent that from happening. But if mm-hmm. you build relationships that are based upon that outcome, you will certainly limit the, limit the degree to which the negative outcomes happen, and you will maximize the degree to which those more positive outcomes happen. Now, what I need to know is when you're, okay, every, you know, I, I mentioned this a few times on, on previous shows. I, I live in Inglewood. And, of course, we have the Inglewood Unified School District. And most people that I know do not send their children into the schools here um, in Inglewood. And if I'm not mistaken, the Inglewood School District is is being um, run by the state of California right now. And so... When you look at a, a, a school like, like, you know, when you look at the, the Inglewood School District, and of course we know that every parent would want their child to be successful in some shape, form, or fashion, graduating, 
going to college or getting onto a career path. We hope that the school administrators also feel the same way. But how do, you know, what are the steps? I, I know you said that, that you have to go in there and identify um, what the strengths are and then begin to create a culture of, of success. But how do you even approach um, a school or, or, or how do you garner clients and go in there and say, hey, we can come here and we're going to help you create successful um, student communities? How do you go in there and not sort of slap them in the face with what their statistics are showing, but yet help them to change those numbers? How do, how do, how do you build a partner with, with, with places like Inglewood School District? How do you build? Well, to be honest with you, Angie, I don't know the answer to that question. I can tell you what the conditions are mm-hmm. to make a good partner. Okay. You know, the fact of the matter is these are very entrenched problems, and in part they're entrenched because people's attitudes are very entrenched. And I'm not going to suggest to you that I can walk into a campus mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. change people's attitudes and have them kind of operate in a different <laughs> kind of way because that's not something that we can do. What I can tell you is that if a school has uh, a certain critical mass of its staff and its leadership mm-hmm. continues to be uh, ambitious about what can be done at their school, who continues to have a certain amount of belief in students. You know, part of the problem is that, to a certain degree, the way our school system has worked with its emphasis on deficits and its emphasis on um competitive relationships between and among not only students but teachers and everyone else in the school uh, community, uh, you know, it's it beaten down a lot of people's uh, hopes and expectations of what can actually happen. So I think you do need mm-hmm. a, a certain critical mass of folks who still believe that this, that this is possible. Right. Right, because you just can't walk in the door and just change their mind. It, to a, to a, <laughs> right. a large degree, it speaks directly against people's experience, mm-hmm. and so they become very resistant. But so the best way to do it, and the way that has worked for us, is we have to find opportunities to work with groups of students and demonstrate what's possible. And then that example becomes something that people can open their minds up to and see the possibility. But we're talking about attitudes and behavior that's deeply entrenched. The expectations are extremely low. And the uh, just the belief that things can be turned around, you just don't find a lot of examples. You're listening to Conversation Piece, and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to Conversation Piece. We are education focused today and we have Manla Kaise, who is a leader and innovator in the field of education. And he has a organization that he started back in 1999 called New World Education. And he also has worked um, nine years as a UCLA Student Affairs Administrator, where he de- developed outreach, retention, and community service programs. And he has provided college access and student leadership programs across the state of California working and training thousands of of students as well as counselors, faculty, and program administrators. Before we went to to break, we were talking about how do you go into into a school district or or into a specific school that has, who who is uh, underperforming, and then to go in there and present to them we can help you build a successful student community. So obviously um, you have to have some kind of relationship with the people there. Like you say, you can't just go in and and say, you guys are doing a horrible job and, and we're going to come in with our capes on and we're going to do a major turnaround. But you have done some turnarounds. You you have some success stories. What What are those? What are some of the... The, the programs are, are schools where they have transformed to to becoming a successful student community or are on the path to becoming such? Well, I, to be honest with you, uh, I think we had uh, the beginnings of a successful student community at Inglewood High. About 10 years ago, uh, there was mm-hmm. a era partnership between Inglewood and UCLA that I was a part of. Uh, the Inglewood Unified School District and UCLA were in a partnership called GIRA, and uh, we were working with uh, the GIRA program there, and there was an AVID program there. Uh, our piece was focused on a group of at- at-risk males who were part of the program uh, and just kind of sharing with those students principles and practices of empowerment, of building a group culture among those, uh, that group of males, which uh, was initially a group of African-American males, but became, you know, uh, we had a a young uh, Latino male who joined the group and one young African-American woman who also joined the group. Uh, And we were building that culture. Uh, those students who were participating with us in that um, small group of at-risk males shared what they were learning with their peers. They modeled empowerment for their peers. And so I think really what that example shows us, uh, in addition to our other experiences, is that it's really not so much about uh, being able to walk into a school and convince a group of administrators that this is, that this is possible. It really mm-hmm. is about building that cu- culture from the ground up. I don't really think it is a top-down process. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a ground-up process that starts with a few students, and those students become models for their peers and they're able to uniquely reach their peers because you're trying to change attitudes and you're trying 
to change mindsets uh, and you're trying to build a different way of thinking about how the young people approach education and what the what expectations uh, adults, uh, professionals, and parents have of those kids. And so, I, you know, that's one place where I think we had some success. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that era program ended, the relationship ended, so a lot of the key people who were facilitating that process moved on. Uh, we had a similar program uh, with uh, the Los Angeles Urban League at Crenshaw High School. We okay. had a student empowerment group met uh, every, you know, one day every week, every af- one afternoon every week in the library, and those kids not only began uh, practicing um, self-direction, self-organization, um, raising, you know, goal setting and raising expectations for themselves. They not only began to practice those principles themselves, but they probably probably went as far as we've gone with any other group of students in sharing those principles with their peers. Uh, and uh, for two years, those those kids uh, ran grade-level assemblies for their peers. So you're talking about a group of 10th and 11th graders actually running an entire uh, assembly for an hour. Uh, Back-to-back they did it on two days uh, Mm -hmm. with the the entire 9th grade class, the entire 10th grade class, the entire 11th grade class one hour after the other. They facilitated the entire thing. We wow. We back working with mm-hmm. them and guiding them in this process. Out of that, they were able to create, uh, recruit new members to mm-hmm. our group that was meeting in the library. We did uh, end-of-the-year planning with 50 or 60 students in the library. So you had, the again, this culture of practicing empowerment that was developed. But then you have challenges at places like Crenshaw, where the principles changed every year we were there. Oh, my goodness. Every single year we were there, we had a new principle. Wow. So you go in and maybe you get one principle to buy into this process, but then there's a different principle the very next year. Right. So the other piece that's needed is a certain amount of <laughs> consistency in that community just to be able oh to, my goodness. To, to keep a process like this going. Uh, we did that for four years, and then unfortunately the Urban League's grant ran out, and okay. their work with that campus ended. Uh, but we have a whole, uh, in both of those uh, cases, you know, we're still in communication with a lot of those students from both Inglewood High School and Crenshaw. You know, you have a couple of the gentlemen from our men's group who graduated from college now. One of them's working where you used to work in outreach at UCLA. He, he wow. <laughs> to UCLA, completed uh-huh. his degree there, and is working there in, in outreach and admissions in the EALP at UCLA. Another one of them is working for the Advancement Project, which is a nonprofit organization that does research around um, school transformation with a particular focus on African-American men. And so he's involved in that research work. Former Inglewood High School student, matriculated through UCLA, went on uh, to do that work. Some of our kids at Crenshaw, there's a young lady uh, from Crenshaw who's now working on her master's in uh, education administration at the University of Laverne. Uh, went to a small uh, liberal arts college in, uh, in the Bay Area. can't remember the name of it offhand. But we've had a lot of these types of successes where 
you know, building a culture, it is a mm-hmm. three-year process, right? You okay, okay, okay. But mm-hmm. changing the culture, and, you know, I'll tell you one of the things that we, we found is it, the GEAR uh, program was significant. Uh, and I think that what we learned from the GEAR program, we were able to apply at Inglewood High School, we were able to apply at Crenshaw, and that's that cohorts matter. You're trying to build a culture in a school, but you build them through cohorts of students, grade levels of students, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because those students will be there for multiple years. And if they're able to, if you're able to generate a, a different mindset within that cohort, then that can be passed on to the next cohort and then to the next cohort. The attitudes and the behavior and even the the, the performance that exists within a school culture, you know, is built over the course of these cohorts of students as they move through the campus. You know, you, you've said... No, no, it's not. Yes, grade, it, it most definitely. Grade, yeah. So that that matters. Those are, mm-hmm, you know, those are, mm-hmm. those are, you know, those are relationships. These folks are moving through the institution together. They're experiencing yes. that campus together, and in part, they are shaping the culture of that campus together. So while you may be able to get a key administrator on board with the process. The key will be your ability to kind of create some leadership within mm-hmm. the whole and Right, and there's the empowerment. Leadership. That's right. They, uh, we have a, a kind of a three-tiered um, leadership development model. So we we work with students to kind of empower themselves, and then we share with those students this this three-tiered uh, level of development, um, modeling, sharing, and leading. So you're modeling empowerment first and foremost. That's the key starting point. And then you're sharing it with your peers or your younger peers. So if you can instill that within a ninth grade class, maybe that following year they're sharing those practices with the new ninth graders at the time that they're tenth graders. And then the last stage of it is leadership, uh, bringing together other students who are modeling empowerment and working with them to share those practices more broadly to the point where maybe you're saying uh, beyond sh- uh, one student sharing with a couple of individuals, we as a group, five or ten students, we're going to see if we can share with 50 students or more. And we had these students not only uh, even before we got to the point of doing the grade level assemblies at, at Crenshaw, we started mm-hmm. with doing classroom presentations. <laughs> right. Towards the beginning of the year, they would go into a classroom and they would say, "Okay, mm-hmm. those of you uh, in the beginning of the year, they would the message would be those of you who are interested in having your best year this year, really empowering yourself and." Um, realizing your potential, kind of seeing what you're capable of, learning how to navigate this campus, you can be a part of this group, and we will show you how to do that over the course of the next year, uh, over the course of this year. And then at year-end, when, when uh, ironically, a lot of people, uh, their antenna is up because they maybe, maybe haven't done as well as they would have liked this year, the offer would be, uh, 
in the fall. We want to recruit you all now so that next year is better for you than this year was. If, if you mm-hmm. felt disappointed mm-hmm. with your outcomes this year, this fall we want you to sign up now and we'll outreach to you and get you started with us in the very beginning of next year on your path to kind of turning things around, empowering yourself, and becoming a more successful student in the following year. And so they would do those kinds of classroom presentations. But, yeah, it's 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 a long-term mm-hmm. project. You know, for us, our short-term yeah. partnerships is we can come in, we can share some practices with your student cohort. Maybe it's an upward-bound program. Maybe it's a, a program focused on a particular segment of the school, ninth graders, tenth graders. You know, you have a lot of these school academies now, so maybe it's the STEM Academy or the Arts Academy. We can share these practices, and we can help the students who participate to be more successful. But this thing of building community and changing mm-hmm. culture at school, that's a longer-term project, and it starts with right. building that mm-hmm. culture within a cohort and then helping them to share it and build it uh between and among their peers. Right. And yeah, when you said it's, it's a two to three year process, which which makes sense, of course, because you need you need that that time to 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 build, you know, the trust for them to see that these tools that that you guys are, are showing them that they actually work and that in, in building relationships. And more importantly than all mm-hmm. this, are shifting a mindset. These these mindsets mm-hmm. are entrenched. You're talking about decades of a belief system. I don't right. want to undersell that at all. And this is why people sometimes mm-hmm. don't see the turnarounds that they want because they're impatient and they're expecting that it's going to happen overnight. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah. You to, yeah. You have to envision it mm-hmm. over a period of time. And then you have to build it. And as you're building it, you have to assess your uh, uh, successes. And you have to kind of recalibrate to kind of get more out of the work that you're doing. But it's certainly doable. Uh, when we started doing this work at UCLA, you know, we had uh, a black student population that was uh, graduating at a rate of one in five in five years. Twenty-two percent were graduating in five years when we started. That's very bad. Right. Only one in five were graduating after wow. five years, not four. So, where where were the other the other four? Well, when when did they finish? Where were the other seventy-eight percent? Nobody knew. <laughs> Nobody had an answer. Good question. <laughs> Hey, a handful of them, maybe six or seven percent, were finishing up in six or seven years. It was taking them longer. They would take time off and come back and complete. Okay. Uh, but no one knew what happened to the larger numbers. Maybe some of them went to another institution and enrolled mm-hmm. and were successful. So some of them just dropped out. We continued to do um, a reentry program to reach out and capture those students. You know, some students who come back after six, seven years, they're coming back to finish up. And this is not just at UCLA. This is across higher education. Getting into college yes. does not mean completing college. Yes, right, right, which is why, you know, one of your, your, your focuses is, is retention. Yes. Also, it's not, it's not just college access, but how That's do you right. stay in there? That's and, right. 
and get out with a degree, but then you go even further with with empowering students, not just come out with a de- with a degree, but coming out with a, a skill set of knowing how, you know, knowing how to um, access life, access work. How do you carry? Knowing right. how to proactively engage people who make decisions that affect your ability to be successful. Knowing how to uh, engage in lifelong growth activities, professional, intellectual Mm -hmm. growth, that you manage and facilitate for yourself, (laughs) you know. Once right. you have that skill, you know, and that's why that's why sharing it with middle and high school students is so important because they will these skills and practices can stay with them and carry them through. But again, you're talking about uh, shifting some mindset. Uh, I think our I think our overall um, uh, population of folks, you know, our network that we've impacted is growing. You know, mm-hmm. we're starting to do these network uh, networking events where we bring together. You attended one uh, this past fall where we bring together some of our clients and we talk about what's possible. It, uh, those events are very important because when you're trying to change these mindsets and really transform uh, a institution or a culture in an area, you know, you really do need the reinforcements of other like-minded folks who are who are hopeful and uh, uh, confident in mm-hmm. being successful in this kind of an endeavor. Because you will run into those kind of roadblocks. You know, personnel changes, yeah. setbacks. You know, um, but right. but uh, that's why we're we're starting now to kind of bring together more of our uh, students and our uh, professional, our, our clients across um, different campuses and across the pipeline so that people begin to look at this as a movement that they can tap into and they can share their experiences with other people and that can keep them resilient uh, because, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, the bad story. Mm-hmm. Negative outcomes is re- being reproduced every day too. So people are still people are still being uh, produced who have these bad experiences, and it kind of reinforces that mindset that our expectations have to be kind of kept in check. And you know, uh, there's not much we can do. You know, you hear it all the time that uh, there's just not much you can do to help these students be more successful when you're working with groups. Uh, and institutional leaders, you know, are mm-hmm. not very aggressive in the kind of change they want to see. They're very cautious. Uh, folks don't really expect to be able to change much. And that's and that's why they're 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 cautious. Yes, that's why they're cautious. They want to keep their expected outcomes low so that they mm-hmm. can ensure their success because they're not very confident that they can achieve higher uh, increased outcomes. Now, 
you you have said so 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 many different things that that I want to touch upon, but I know that we we have to stay focused on on, on building successful empowered student um, communities. But it, it the if, so if the administration the school administration has constant changes, they are not consistent. You have to go in there and combat that. No, no matter what, you have to go in there and reintroduce yourself. And do you have to do the students have to, you know, do, do the students help in, in trying to maintain the program there when the principal's changing or whatever's changing? Well, at the, let, let's be clear we're talking across a pipeline. Mm-hmm. For, fortunately, at the higher education level, you don't have as much turnover. So you're able to build longer term relationships. The students are there for shorter periods of time, so the, the challenge they go through is, is having to kind of recycle their efforts with new groups of students as they come through. But there's a, there's a greater level of stability there. So our relationships have, have been a little longer to the extent that we've developed them at the mm-hmm. higher ed level. Twelve level, I think one of the greater breakthroughs is doing more work, more work with parents. Yeah. Now, how, how do you tell a parent to – how does a parent – uh, assess, because uh, uh, right now, you know, people who are listening, how do you tell, a, how, what, what does a parent need to do to be able to assess their their child's school, K through 12, and then decide, is this a, a, a healthy student community or an unhealthy student community? And then what's the next steps? Well, that's not our approach at all, to be honest with you. Okay, uh, what, what's parents, the approach? Parents, parents have one chance. Uh, they, they have more than one chance, but they, don't ha- they have limited chances to choose school. And you may be, one school community may be a little better than another school, school community. But mm-hmm. if it's not really functioning as a school community, then it may not be good for your child. It might be a healthier campus overall, but because uh, race matters and diversity matters, it's not necessarily helpful for every kid who goes through that campus. There's a lot of measures you have to look at. And this is one of the Mm -hmm. things parents are running into. They're sending their kids to schools that are better overall performing schools, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that it's a better community. Right. And then you have a kid who goes into that community, and if they're not embraced by that school, if they're not embraced by their peers, then they then it's not a, <laughs> yeah. not a healthy community for them. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. I mean, it's not conducive for, for studying or learning. Parents, for African-American parents, they're sending their kids all over, the, all over the landscapes of schools. I mean, nobody changes schools and goes further, travels more to find a better school than African-American parents do. Right, which is why I told you most people that I know who live here in Inglewood, where where I live, they send their children everywhere. Except, and while I mean, it's, while it's I mean, working a yeah. little better, mm-hmm. it's not really transforming outcomes for African American kids as a whole. Outcomes like what? African American mm-hmm. kids are mm-hmm. not doing better across the board as a result of traveling out of their community to other schools. 
it's working for some. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, uh, for individual students, they're doing it a little better. But if mm-hmm. you take all of those kids across the board, they're not in math doing mm-hmm. any better than the kids who are staying in their own community. And staying in their own community. Yes. Many of them, <laughs> many of them are performing uh-huh. at the bottom of their cohort at their new schools. Right. That's scary. It should be. Let me uh-huh. this, uh, the, the role of parents to mm-hmm. choosing schools, that's not the answer. I mean, that's part of the problem, to be honest with you, is believing that the idea is about being able to drop your child off at a school mm-hmm. where magically the things that you'd like to see happen are going to happen. Because you're looking at this school and you're, you're seeing that it's a high-performing school. Kids are going to, to college. They have a, a, a great athletic program. It's a safe environment. All, all, all the things that a parent will feel comfortable with, but not necessarily things that are going to solve the question of my child performing at their highest potential. They're just as likely to have a safe in a, uh, a high performing environment who is who is performing well below their potential in that safe environment. Some of the folks who are most uh-huh. open to our services are schools with large black populations that aren't in majority black communities. And they're asking us, how can you come in and help our African-American kids? They're lagging behind the rest of their peers. Right, and that's and that's a lot of schools because, you know, the, the, the busing the situation has been... I know. It's the majority. Oh my no school right. here has distinguished itself as the school that produces a higher performance. High achieving African American kids. Yeah. kids. None. Right. None. Not one? Well there are there are the the school where African American kids have probably historically done the best is Westchester. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Westchester High School, right, in LAU State. So what about Palisades High School? Because there's a lot of black students that are bused to Palisades High School. Are they not doing well over there? They are not uh, performing at the level of their peers. At the at the level of at their, their peers. peers, right, okay, right. You know, you got a decision to make. Do you want mm-hmm. your kids to be doing a little better than they would be if you kept them in the school that they're at? Which is what I get exactly right. Or do right, you right. want more? <laughs> or do you want their potential? <laughs> or are right. you happy and, yeah. with them just yeah. doing a little better? Because the environment's right. safer, and the school's a little more high performing, mm-hmm. and so you've inv- you're able to avoid some of the challenges and problems. But are you necessarily producing your best possible results? Any parent who, who decides to send their kid to another school because they want them to be safe, I don't begrudge that decision. But it, it's not—it's not achieving the kind of outcomes we're talking about. They're not—they're not coming out of that experience performing at their highest level. They're not realizing potential, and a lot of times they're dealing with all kinds of trauma. I mean, just—I uh, think it was like uh, two years ago when there was a major uprising among the black mm-hmm. students at Palisades over how they were being treated at the school. Since you mentioned Palisades, 
they had major protests about two years ago, highly publicized, about how they were being treated at that school. And did anything change? I think in the short term it did. But again, mm-hmm. mindsets and cultures don't change that way. And that's where you guys come in and well, that's bring where, in. That's where, that's where a different approach to working with children uh, and students, uh, irrespective of their ethnic and racial background, comes in. That's where an approach that allows young people and families to really um, know and uh, affirm what their their talents and qualities are, you know, uh, uh, without being subject to external judgments and perceptions and stereotypes. Because if you start there, if you start with the external perceptions, if that's the starting point of the learning process, then mm-hmm. we're just not going to get very far because we know the negative perceptions and, and, and stereotypes are pervasive. Yes. So there has they, to be this process yeah. of uh, enabling young people to, to kind of mm-hmm. define who they are for themselves, mm-hmm. to define their potential for themselves. And then you learn to support and nurture that self-awareness that they have and and to direct it towards uh, successfully um, establishing goals and academic practices for themselves as opposed to having academic practices that reflect the negative um, stereotypical outcomes that everybody has already established for them. I've seen very high-performing kids who just don't try, don't put in the effort, don't put in the time, because everybody around them is saying that they're not going to be successful anyway. It's very, it's very easy for a kid to, to conclude. So if, if if I'm being told in so many ways that mm-hmm. I'm not that smart, mm-hmm. right? okay, I'm not going to do that good, that I'm not going to be that much, why would I put in the time? You know, right, to a, do something right. There's a few they're, they're kids who buy into this idea of proving everybody right. wrong. But that's the rare, that's the exception. Every kid shouldn't have to come to that conclusion. I'm going to defy right. everybody and do better. You know, they have to. You know, our process is about establishing mm-hmm. a culture where students are not only defining uh, themselves and their potential uh, for themselves, but they are assisting their peers in doing the same. And we're looking for educators and administrators who believe that if you create space for students mm-hmm. to define their own uh, identity, to define their own potential, achieve better outcomes because you're freeing them from these kind of judgments that are, are kind of holding down their potential and, and they're internalizing these kind of negative expectations and it affects their, their motivation to to work, let alone learn. It makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, I know everybody's looking for the quick, easy (laughs) fix, and and people have these concessions of how this stuff works. But if 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 any of that was true, we'd be out of this problem already. And thank you for 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 being a guest today. Well, have a great day.
Thank you to my conversation piece guest, Mala Kaise, who will come back when we are education-focused again next month. Go to Facebook for more information on New World Education at New World EDU or the website newworlded.com. Once again, that's newworlded.com and on Facebook, New World EDU. Thank you to Leslie Rafford, the powerful force behind RGLA, Adam Rice, program coordinator and engineer. Michael Washington of M. Wash Soul for the opening and closing theme song, and always you, our RJLA family. Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes, please. As you listen to us worldwide anytime on RadioJustice.org, where you can also replay and revisit any previous conversation piece shows. I'm Angela Birdson. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this experience of conversation piece on Radio Justice, L.A. Morning Wake Up Call with you. Remember to be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be brave, be courageous, and let all that you do be done with love.